Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to episode 124 of the DCAU Review. I'm Cal, as always, and with me is my good brother, good friend, it's Liam. Liam, we are in week three of our Green Lantern month here at the DCAU Review, and we decided, as we mentioned on last week's episode, to take a trip to the Elseworlds with an exciting new series this week, one that uh, probably doesn't get as much love as it may deserve, and uh, I'm excited to chat with you about it this week. Yeah, there's a lot of unique things to get into with this show. That show, of course, being Green Lantern, the animated series, which uh, started back in 2011. And uh, yeah, I think people, I think the people who have watched the show from start to finish love it. And unfortunately, maybe due to the pr- the promotion or lack thereof by Cartoon Network at the time. There just weren't a lot of people who watched it, and uh, yeah, there's some there's some fun stuff, and it also happens to be our first uh, CGI computer animated uh, edition of a show. This is the first time we've watched a show in something besides uh, traditional 2D animation. So uh, a lot of unique stuff here in week three of our Green Lantern month. Well, I will correct you on that because uh, I said that last week, and that is incorrect as well. We did cover an episode of Beware the Batman uh, oh, in yeah. Batman Elseworlds <laughs> Month <laughs> uh, last year, which is also CGI. Uh, but, it made such an impression on us. <laughs> clearly, yes. That also is kind of one of those weird Cartoon Network shows that was only around for one season, didn't get much love, and kind of exists on the fringes of fandom because there wasn't a, a huge didn't didn't quite allow it to build up the following that a lot of the other uh, shows even the, you know the outside of the DCAU the Teen Titans or uh, even well Justice League Action only had one season as well but you know some of those other other series that that lasted for multiple seasons that have built up fandom Young Justice uh, some of those other shows mm-hmm. that had had more than one season sort of to showcase and build up a, a, a fan base. So uh, now, as you mentioned, uh, we are going to be covering the premiere episode of Green Lantern, the animated series, which debuted back on November the 11th, 2011. That's right. 11, 11, 11. Uh, I don't know if you remember where you were. I have no idea where I was 11, 11, 11. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is uh, w- there was a sneak peek uh, of this series, Liam. And I guess before we get before we get into the official synopsis of this week's episode, which is titled Beware My Power, which premiered as a 
uh, 44-minute, hour-long presentation on the Cartoon Network. It was kind of a sneak preview uh, before the series actually debuted in 2012. Uh, I guess we can briefly just chat about sort of the background of how this uh, cartoon came to be. Uh, of course, this was right around the time. Uh, this was supposed to be sort of a launched by the popularity of the summer blockbuster <laughs> smash hit that was supposed to be the Green Lantern movie. And uh, you don't have to be a comic book fan to know that that never quite happened. Yes, uh, for a whole myriad of reasons. But I think the number one being uh, the movie wasn't good. <laughs> That's generally going to hurt, uh, hurt, hurt any uh, tie-in products. Uh, I, think, I think we spoke about it back when we reviewed uh, Legion of Superheroes earlier this year. But that was sort of meant to tie in with Superman Returns. And not directly, obviously, but in the sense that, oh, let's capitalize off the popularity of Superman with uh, with his new movie and now this new cartoon. And then the movie didn't make any money and uh, people didn't like it. So the, the cartoon was somewhat short lived as well. Um, that being said, it's it's very unique within the world of, uh, of DC animated projects. Obviously, the only other one, as you mentioned, to compare it to is Beware the Batman uh, which was a Glenn Murakami uh, uh, helmed pro uh, project along with Butch Lukic. However, this one we do in fact have the uh, the Godfather, so to speak, of the DCAU. Bruce Tim was a uh, was the uh, produce head producer and showrunner on this series, and it is interesting. And we'll certainly get into that as we get into our main categories, Cal. But uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to see like this the specific well-known Bruce Tim style in uh in 3d form yeah it's definitely and um yeah we'll definitely cover that when we get into the the way that uh this show looks in our visual and animation category but yeah it's 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 interesting i mean the guys look the same they have the same it's very obvious bruce tim uh, design work uh, influence there, and uh, there are some other people, of course, that were involved in in this project. This first episode, which we'll find out, of course, in a second when we go through the synopsis, was directed by uh, Sam Liu, who's obviously worked with Bruce Tim a lot and has done a lot of the direction on probably any of your favorite uh, direct-to-video DC movies. He's done a lot of directing with those, and uh, so his he's got fingerprints on this there's a lot of well-known people that you're going to know as we kind of go through here and talk about whether it's directors or executive producers or voice actors so there's a lot of this that feels familiar and and for that i think that uh you know if you haven't given this a chance i can tell you that i i had seen maybe three or four maybe three or four episodes of this at some point during mm -hmm. the original run and I could not tell you what those episodes were. Um, I don't think that it was it was this this premiere episode, but I was I was excited. And it's a shame that it, it not only was the movie a bust and call, sort of devalued the character, I think, in the eyes of the DC executives at the time, but another reason that happened is because the movie sucked. So many of the tie-ins, the toys, the the marketing opportunities that were tied in with Green Lantern at that time, which obviously is something that entices showrunners and companies to 
pour money into cartoon projects. Uh, there are so many of these Green Lantern figures clogging the shelves for years. I was <laughs> years at Toys R Us. I'm almost certain, like I'm not even exaggerating, two years ago or whatever it was when Toys R Us went out of business, they still had Green Lantern movie <laughs> figures on the shelves. Like it's, they were that, it, they stuck around that long. They did not sell at all. So that was something else. Marketing opportunities were going to be limited if they did continue with this show. And again, that's something that I think a lot of those companies look at when they're looking whether or not they should pour money into it, especially you have to imagine with it being CGI, it was probably a little bit more expensive than your standard animation. So who knows? But it's, it's a shame ultimately that this didn't get the love that it did. Uh, didn't get it a chance to kind of breathe. However, you can check it out, at least for now, on the DC Universe streaming app if you're here in the U.S. If not, I'm sure there are ways for you to locate the series itself uh, out there. I know it's been released on DVD also. So you can check it out. I, I say give it a chance. Uh, I think, like Liam said, those that have seen it and, and have been able to watch it all the way through have really enjoyed it. So uh, let's get into it, Liam. Let us break this down. Start, as we always do, with our IMDB official synopsis for this week's episode. That's right. And because this is a technically a two-parter, I do get to read two synopses again this week. So uh, Green Lantern Month, Green Lantern Month, really just the, the gift that keeps on giving here. But yes, these are the synopses for Beware My Power Parts 1 and 2 which were written by Jim Krieg and Ernie Altbacker, directed by Sam Liu and Rick Morales, with music for both parts by Frederick Weidman. And that, those synopses read as such. Two Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan and Kilowog, make an unsanctioned mission to the borders of the universe to investigate another Green Lantern's death. And for part two? Jordan and Kilowog make a rest stop at the homeworld of fellow Green Lantern, Sheer Rev. But the Red Lanterns return and a battle erupts. All righty. Uh, those break it down pretty well. I think those are pretty close to the actual descriptions of the episodes. I take no fault with those. Um, so, yeah, let's get into the uh, let's get into the storytelling here a little bit, Liam. So as far as the plot is concerned here, uh, we are. Much like we were with Beware the Batman, much like we were with a lot of the heroes from uh, Justice League, the animated series, or even Justice League Unlimited, this is not an origin tale for mm -hmm. this Green Lantern. We are sort of dropped in, and it you're not, it's not, I, I wasn't quite certain uh, whether or not this is an origin tale at first, because you're introduced to Hal Jordan first, uh, Hal Jordan the pilot. Uh, there's some alien Green Lanterns that are shown beforehand, but really not sure whether or not this is going to be a Hal Jordan origin story, especially based on the fact that it, it deals with some of the similar elements that the Green Lantern movie did in that that pilot, him being a pilot, and he's piloting this expensive aircraft, and he's interacting with Carol Ferris, uh, you know, who eventually may or may not become Star Sapphire. It is in the comics. So a lot of those elements from the movie, which was an origin story, kind of remain the same. But I was pleasantly surprised that this is uh, they kind of drop you in expecting you to know who he is. Yeah, I think they give you enough if this is your first exposure to the character. Uh, you know, they set up when we meet him, as you mentioned, he, he is flying this experimental uh, military aircraft and is sort of being read the riot act by Carol over how he needs to be careful because it's this expensive prototype. And 
uh, it sort of paint, and we we see very quickly that he does have the ring. There's an earthquake, and uh, he has to spring into action. And while he does save a train from uh, derailing, he unfortunately allows the jet to uh, crash right into the side of a of a cliff. So it is a not a uh, not a smooth start for him, but we sort of get a little bit of a tease of romance with with him and Carol before he is called away on this mysterious mission to Oa. And, uh, and that's sort of where we get our, our call to action from there. But I do agree that it was for the best to, uh, to not, not bog this down with the traditional Hal Jordan origin story, especially because again, if they were making this in mind that it would sort of tie into the movie, the movie did his, his origin so whether they did it well or not is another is probably another uh, conversation but i think they figured there's enough awareness of who green lantern is and even if you don't you can kind of figure it out pretty quickly yeah i i guess the best case that i should have used one that i left out uh was batman the animated series <laughs> that also did not do <laughs> a bruce wayne origin story i mean eventually they sort of did in you can argue that with mask of the phantasm but you don't get bruce's parents getting shot uh in the first episode of batman the animated series you're kind of dropped there based on the fact that you kind of already know who batman is which i think in a lot of ways that helps because you're not bogged down with having to use up so much of your precious time with a story that a ma- the majority, even if your show is geared towards children, how many children actually care about how <laughs> your hero becomes the hero? You know, uh, it's I think it's interesting, at least with Superman is sort of the outlier in the and well, and Static Shock, if you if you you know, if you want to get technical, both of those guys have uh, in the DCAU have a a animated origin story mm-hmm. told there uh but it's the rest of the heroes you really don't get an origin story from and i think it's okay yeah no i think that's fine because as you mentioned if you're an adult watching this show you probably already know and if you're a kid watching it you probably don't care so i think uh skipping kind of right to the to the crux of the episode explaining what the what the conflict is and sort of getting right into it is a, is a better option. And again, I mean, if, if this had gone more seasons and you wanted to, at some point go back and do an episode, that's the origin episode. Uh, or like you said, uh, even a, you know, a movie like, like mask of the phantasm that touches on sort of his earlier career. Um, I think that would have been fine, but yeah, as, as it stands here, I'm, I am all for getting right to it. Yeah, uh, and like, yeah, I think sprinkling it in and having it as a backup in later episodes, if you want to sprinkle it in, uh, you do get elements of Bruce's origin story throughout Batman the Animated Series, of course, or you touch on some of the backstory of your characters in Justice League a little bit, but you don't have to necessarily go with a straight up, this is this is the hero before he was a hero, and here's who he is now. Um, so I, I will say, so going forward with this, there were some, uh, there were some interesting moratoriums placed on this animated series also because the movie was happening at the same time. And one of them, uh, at, they were in production at the same time. One of them was they were asked not to use Sinestro. Uh, there were plans ultimately, of course, if you've seen, 
the Green Lantern movie. First of all, I'm sorry. Second of <laughs> all, you you know that there were if you stayed around long enough to watch the whole movie, there was a post credit scene that involved Sinestro, and he was prominently featured in. He was probably the only enjoyable thing in that movie. Um, but the, Sinestro was set up to be a the villain in the sequel. So there was apparently a moratorium on them, like we have heard about uh, some of the moratoriums placed on the producers of Justice League Unlimited not being able to use Batman characters and uh, in in later seasons of Justice League Unlimited, Liam. Uh, so with this, the creators decided to sort of dip into the Green Lantern mythos that was uh, sort of being written at that time or had just recently been written in the Blackest Night storyline and branched out and started using the Red Lanterns. Yeah, I think that was a really interesting idea. Um, obviously, it's weird to not have the greatest Green Lantern villain available to you, but uh, I think sort of like we talked about with Beware the Batman, again, I guess there's a lot of parallels um, when they sort of chose to really not feature the A-list villains and try to flesh out some of the more recent ones like Professor Pig. And and uh, and here, yeah, here we see Atrocitus and the Red Lantern Corps who had just, yeah, just been introduced in the books maybe at the most, maybe two years prior. Um, and, and they are, they are good. They set them up as I think good, uh, dan- dangerous threats to, uh, to the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, they're sort of like a really right near the start of the episode. We see, see this sort of young Green Lantern in, in sort of this outer rim area, uh, that we find out later on is kind of barely paid attention to by the guardians. They, they, they send rings out and they have uh, Green Lantern cores, but they don't even really train them. They just kind of send send the rings out and and leave it alone for the most part. Um, there we see a Green Lantern murdered by the by these two uh, Red Lanterns, Razor and Zillius Socks. And uh, of course, later on in part two, we meet their their leader Atrocitus, who, as we mentioned, is sort of the in the books is also the leader of, of the Red Lantern Corps. So, but yeah, they set them up as just truly vengeful evil guys <laughs> and we don't we don't get a lot of exposition about that uh, i mean I, there's a lot of allusions by atrocitus in part two to uh to you know getting his revenge on the guardians or talking about what the guardians did to them but they sort of uh they, they sort of decided to keep that mostly shrouded in mystery at least for the first two episodes and just sort of focus on them being these these angry vengeful people who once they realize that there are even more Green Lanterns in the system, they uh, basically threaten to blow up the home of uh, of this uh, this Green Lantern that Hal and Kilowog meet, that being Sheer Riv, and uh, that's sort of where we get our call to action in in part two. But yeah, I, th- I think they do a pretty good job of, especially because there hadn't been, and I guess even now still hasn't been that many Red Lantern stories told. So taking characters that were still pretty new. And immediately setting them up as your as your big time, yeah, you know, top top bad guy. That, that that takes some guts, but I think they they do a pretty good job of establishing that threat. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I real I think the only the only thing that I is funny because I just finished up. We finished up talking about how there didn't need to be an origin story. I think the only thing about the plot uh, that I was missing. Um, and especially for these characters that are relatively new to the lore, and I guess maybe maybe the assumption is is they 
people don't care or but I think one of the most fascinating things to me is where where the lanterns draw their power from and that's something that was really really worked out in that blackest night storyline where these red lanterns were introduced and to me I think recognizing that these characters and again we watched one episode or two episodes that into made into one episode uh so this could very well be explained later on and i'm sure it is based on the fact that i think there are other lanterns that eventually get introduced to this series but it would have been interesting to at least discuss why in the episode it seems that the red lanterns are so much more powerful than the green lanterns it seems like they have little to no problem sort of handling uh the lanterns in battle um, a couple of times that could be explained away as having like a two on one advantage, but it's at one point it's three on two or, or two on two on two for the for both sets of lanterns when um, when Hal and, and Kilowog uh, go to to rescue this lantern uh, that was under attack, and they're kind of running away with their tails tucked between their legs until Hal sort of supercharges his ring. Um, so I, I think the only thing that I could have used a, a slight little more backstory on is, and we got a lot of, a lot of filler Atrocitus's motivation for why he doesn't like the lanterns. Uh, but where this sort of the, in the comics, it's the rage, it's the anger, it's the hatred that really fuels the red lanterns rings and sort of creates seems to be more powerful than the than the Green Lantern's willpower that sort of powers their rings. Uh, so I, I think a, a better explanation, or at least a little more hinting at that, uh, the characters are just sort of evil. They're not just like they're not angry. They don't seem to be angry. They just seem to be bad. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think the that is something that's captured, I think, very well in the comics is that most of the, the Red Lanterns, other than maybe Atrocitus, are these sort of just like angry, violent. They, they literally like they all vomit up this like red acidic bile um, as uh, when they get their rings on their on their finger. And, and it's sort of just this this just violent. They're, they're more like wild animals than they are soldiers or or uh you know ring bearers in the sense of a the green lantern would be so yeah i do think that's fair they are they are for the most part they are as you said generically evil but not exactly the uh the most uh i don't know they they don't like they don't they don't quite capture i think the ferocity uh, i think you see that a little bit more on display in the uh in the scene in the scenes with atrocitus uh fighting hal in part two but yeah, they don't quite capture it. It's more, especially uh, the uh, Zillia socks, the the uh, round Red Lantern is mostly just like an evil guy. <laughs> he's like he's like Modok. Like that's exactly who we were. He looks like mm-hmm. Modok, and he acts like Modok uh, from the old Iron Man cartoon from the mid '90s, if you recall. Very just mm-hmm. like he's an evil sidekick, like. <laughs> This is what his his job is, and he's gonna throw this other character Razor under the uh, who is they're sort of they set up in this episode. He's a new newish recruit to the Red Lantern Corps, and he seems to at least have somewhat of a conscience. And uh, they keep hinting that maybe he's not as dedicated or has some conflict in killing innocent people or having innocent blood on his hand versus just straight up killing the Green Lanterns. So that's something that's established and it will absolutely play out throughout the rest of the series as he ends up getting uh, 
captured at the end of the episode by Kilowog and Hal. Uh, so you did mention, so we do get to see Oa a little bit. We get to see the Guardians, who, by the way, I I, I know they sort of set up Ganthet as like the good version of the or the good Guardian, and that's traditionally yeah. he's been the more relatable Guardian in in DC Comics lore. But why are the Guardians always like the evil? They're like the evil government. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? It's like, well, I think it's it's like it's like some kind of. I think that's meant to be some commentary on like bureaucracy or like. A, a lack of, you know, a, a, they care more about following procedure than they do seeing that true justice is done. Um, I think I think that's kind of the implication there. Yeah, is that they're just so by the book, and uh, you know, they 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 have to follow. They have this rigid set of rules and laws that they must that all Green Lanterns must follow, and sometimes that gets in the way of of them actually. Uh, <laughs> actually uh doing doing their jobs or doing their jobs the way that the individual lanterns think they should at least so the spirit of the law versus they're more letter of the law versus like the spirit of the law and working outside and of course it's set up also in this episode as he's put on trial initially and then eventually uh attempted to be put on trial a second time uh how is the the natural foil and rebel to the uh by the books uh, leadership of the of the Green Lantern Corps, which I guess is sort of a trope that follows any sort of uh, police show that there has ever been. Is there's you know you're the the titular hero is typically the guy who doesn't play by the rules and doesn't follow the follow the leaders, and the leaders always have to rein him in and try and uh, you know shaking their fist at him every time that he does something yeah. outside the so I, I guess if the Green Lantern Corps are is the international police or the intergalactic police then I guess that would make sense that just sort of procedurally follows that with them being the uh, the the bad guy or the sort of the overlords that you just kind of want to uh why won't they just let Hal be Hal you know yeah I guess it gives it gives him a natural foil who isn't a complete evil entity um but is still sort of there to put put some extra roadblocks along the way for our for our heroes certainly all right so as we go through liam uh, the rest of the episode the episode is hal decides that he's going to go outside what the guardians have expressly told him to do he's going to steal this green lantern spaceship <laughs> <laughs> With I, I guess this was just an excuse to introduce the one of the only female characters that they decided to introduce in this first episode, and that being the uh, Aya, who is or Aya is who is the artificial intelligence that runs this spaceship that I guess will be Green Lantern's vehicle throughout this episode. Seems like it was just designed to be a toy that they could sell later on. Uh, <laughs> Which, again, from time to time, that will happen. But uh, so he steals this spaceship, goes to try and save the Green Lantern, going against the, the ruling of the, the Guardians. And uh, there's conflict. He meets, he meets the Red Lanterns. They blow up the planet of this other Green Lantern that they went to save, which was sad. Like, I really didn't see that coming. There's yeah. a, lot of a lot of death in this episode. There's multiple Green Lanterns murdered and a whole planet just... Although the people are saved, but the whole planet is just destroyed. 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting to start your series out on like kind of a downer note where not only do the the bad guys mostly get away, they also succeed in what they were trying to do, which was uh, they said if the planet didn't uh, didn't voluntarily uh, turn over the Green Lanterns to them that they'd blow it up, and what do you know? They blow it up, and yes, uh, Shair Rev, uh, who is this uh, sort of as, as we said, this sort of outer rim. Uh, far out, uh, I think they call it Frontier Galaxy, uh, where these green there are Green Lanterns out there, but they don't have much training and they're kind of left to their own devices. Um, but uh, he, so he's sort of this this not super well trained guy, but he's he's very brave and he has his wife and child who we meet and and yes, they while his wife and child are survived, Kilowog is able to save him save um, his family and most of the other people uh yeah uh, rev himself gives his life in order to give everyone else enough time to get away and uh yeah it's it's really quite a somber note to end on they do capture as you mentioned the sort of rookie uh character called razor um that's sort of the one consolation prize as we come to the end of our, our part two there but yeah, it's a pretty downer downer ending, and they, there's even sort of some talking during the episode before the final battle where Rev and Kilowog are discussing it, and we find out that Kilowog's entire planet was destroyed, and all of his people are dead, and he's the, the, the sole survivor of his world, and, uh, and that's sort of where the crux of it is when, when it's clear that they can't stop the bomb from going off. Uh, Rev asks Kilowog, what would you do if you had one more chance to save your people? And Kilowog uh, tells tells Hal at the end of the episode that you know, I I realized what I would do was save the rest of the people, uh, which which sort of leads to it's not conflict I wouldn't say but it sort of leads to Hal having some some doubts about his decision to kind of chase the bad guys while uh, Kilowog was able to get most they do they do qualify it as most of the people off the world but there it is implied that there was at least some folks who didn't make it as well as uh, this this young green lantern who uh, who also dies and we, we they, they're sort of asking oh what happened did he make it out and then you just see his, his ring floating off to go find uh, its new host so yeah it's it's quite a kind of a downer ending and it we do sort of set up now that's that's sort of i guess our, our the heroes have a reason to seek revenge on on these red lanterns now and, uh, and uh, maybe get the, the guardians more directly involved with it. But yeah, that's, that's quite a, quite an interesting call to end, end your first episode, which as we mentioned, aired as this TV movie uh, for the first time or this TV special where both parts aired back to back to end it on kind of that downer note. It was a, uh, it was a bold strategy. I'll give them that. Yeah. It actually reminded me of, uh, I, I would say it's safe to say that Star Wars DNA is sort of felt throughout this whole uh, 44 minutes or so. There's mm-hmm. several things that plot-wise seem seem like very Star Wars-ish. There were several shots that, were, that we'll talk about in visuals in just a moment. Several uh, different shots and character uh, voices and positions and scene setups that were very Star Wars-like. But that, to me, is that re- similar feeling to the the end of the the first Star Wars film, well, the, you know, four, episode four, uh, A New Hope, you know, it's, you do get some victory, like, there are some people that save, you know, there, there is some bright spot to it, but 
don't forget, Princess Leia's whole planet was blown into smithereens, and billions of people were killed. Like, so it's not like it's not like they got off scot free. It's not like that. It's a huge. It's not a complete downer, kind of like how Empire Strikes Back is, but it's still not, it's still like, Hey, this is still something they're going to have to deal with. It's not complete victory. There's a motivation for your characters to, to continue this battle against this red lantern core and to find out more about them. And they now have personal motivation because they, they met this guy, Shire Rev and uh, befriended him and met his family and met his uh, daughter. Who's, you know, a, a young, young girl who, um, you know, basically they transport these people to a new planet and they have to sit there with her as she realizes that her dad is gone. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's some of that that's like, ah, it's a downer and it's bad. Yeah. It, like, it's not a feel, it's not a straight up feel good way to end it. But I feel like that was also a good way to like, Hey, we debuted this in November and I don't think that the series actually, actually premiered to either March or April, I think. So it was a couple months uh, mm-hmm. after this that it, that it eventually debuted. So you have some time where you're like, hey, uh, this is going to be really fun to go through and see how the rest of this this story plays out. Don't, you know, come back and see us. Like, this is a good little cliffhanger to leave you on the end there to, to draw you back in. So I it is, it is a risk, but I appreciate it because I think it sets up a motivation for the rest of the rest of the series going forward. Yeah, I think it's a fair way to uh, to look at it, and I guess we can get into our plot scores from here. Um, like I said, I think it's a good first chapter or first two chapters, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, I do feel part one, I th- think it drags a little bit until we finally get Hal on Hal and Kilowog onto the ship and they're going to investigate. There's like a you know the first like ten or twelve minutes I feel like could could have moved along a little bit quicker. Um, but that's that's sort of minor nitpicky things. Overall, I think it's a good solid origin st- or not an origin story, a pilot for the series. And uh, for those reasons, I gave it a a solid seven out of ten. Nice. I am right there. I gave it just a tick higher. I gave an eight out of ten. Um, I think it's funny. There's actually a part where uh, the guardians are sort of explaining something to Hal and Kilowog and uh, Green Lantern Salak, I believe, as they sort of enter this, uh, enter this, uh, the, the hall where the, the guardians are, are sort of held up and they're about to put him on trial. And, and Hal mentions uh, that uh, basically that they're delivering some exposition that it's like, oh, well, you know, you guys are sure are t- talking a lot or something like that. He makes, <laughs> he makes it sort of backhand as if to acknowledge that this part is very exposition heavy. So, um, yeah, without it being an origin story, uh, it, I I think you I think that it could have been worse, but I I don't think that your your critiques are off base with the first part dragging. I feel like though that they kind of made up for it for the rest of the episode. A lot of heavy action that uh, takes mm-hmm. place uh, in in the rest of the episode. Uh, so that's why I ended up giving an eight out of ten. Fair enough. All right, Liam, let's move on to visual and animation. And uh, we already mentioned a little bit. Again, this is CGI. It's not your standard animation. We did mention it has Bruce Timm's fingerprints on it because he was the executive producer on this show. So the characters are, it's like, how do you translate a 2D drawing style into 3D? Uh, To me, I... I think it, it rings true. It feels familiar, but at the same time, it definitely has its own flourish to it. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just the way the characters are drawn or drawn or built, you know, it's still, you know, the men are all big, broad chest, you know, mostly broad chested and, and, you know, sort of smaller, skinnier legs and, uh, how, yeah, how Jordan looks like a very like archetypal Bruce Tim superhero design, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some interesting flourishes here. And, uh, yeah, the, obviously this, this Kellawag design is quite a bit different than the one we're certainly used to in in that we just talked about last week in justice league um he's he's a, he's a much sort of he's still an, an imposing big figure but he's much he's much thicker he's much uh he's much he's sort of he's sort of just built like a tank and that that i also i i like that his his personality is also reflected in the way they the the lanterns use their rings very uniquely which i think is really cool and a smart way to differentiate that they mention at one point they're trying to figure out if they can like create a construct with their rings that can replace this broken part in their ship. And, and Kilowog looks at him and just says, I make hammers. Uh, (laughs) He he sets up that he's a, he's a very, uh, he's a warrior and he's uh, he's very comfortable with, with that side of things. And, uh, and I, I, so I really like, I think visually speaking, uh, I really enjoyed Kilowog maybe the most out of every, anything in this episode. Well, I, you brought it up, so it's a fair time to talk about it now. We talked about it last week as Kilowog was introduced in the DCAU. Now, we haven't mentioned it already, I don't think, but uh, you should know since this is an Elseworlds episode, uh, this, is this despite being a Bruce Tim executive-produced cartoon, does not take place in DCAU continuity from what all that we know. However, <laughs> however this version of Kilowog would show up this this portrayal this design shows up as the kilowog that we see in justice league versus the fatal five so uh, who knows honestly if there's a lot of things that say no it doesn't it it couldn't fit based on a lot of the backstory that we know from the green lanterns Uh, but again this design was again used uh, for justice league versus the fatal five uh, which i believe was a sam liu directed project as well Yes, and Bruce Tim obviously also involved with that, and yeah, they 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 reuse the Kilowog and Salak designs as well as the design of uh, Oa, the the planet there. It's which is actually a pretty cool thing to talk about in itself. Rather than just sort of being this generic looking planet, it's sort of it has this sort of hovering energy, green energy around it that sort of there's like two rings around each side of the planet, and then it's forms into the lantern symbol on it but yeah the, the, despite these designs uh, some of these designs being uh, used in later canon dcau projects as far as we know this is not intended to be part of that universe right so this kilowog design versus last week's kilowog design you have a preference uh, like i said i really like this one uh, i don't i don't dislike the other one um but i like how they made him such a such a tank like he's he's got like these short arms and legs but he's he's all built out and like i said i, I love sort of the the unique contra- constructs and stuff that they gave him i thought he's he's a really good he's a he's a really a lot of fun so i, I think i might honestly prefer this version 
I I would agree with you. Shocking. But, uh, <laughs> but I think the more human form that he took in last week's episode, which, again, you can hear in the archives at DCAUReview.com. Uh, check that out if you haven't. Uh, the episode that we covered, Hearts and Minds, last week, the Justice League episode, which featured Kilowog and a few other Green Lanterns. Uh, that one, he has more human-esque design, standard, just broad-shouldered Bruce Timm design. This one allows his sort of alien form to to he he looks a little bit different than your than a human being, so uh, I would agree with you. Yeah, what you also mentioned just a minute ago, Liam, the design of Oa, which I thought was certainly noteworthy. You mentioned a few other things about that. That also seemed to me to have some Star Wars DNA in it. It reminded me of the Star Wars planet Coruscant, uh, mm-hmm. which you can see in in the prequels. Uh, if you're not a crossover Star Wars fan, then you're going to be like, "What are you talking about?" But there, you know, <laughs> there, there. If you happen to be, you know exactly what I'm talking about uh it's, it's a sort of this city it was the first real like metropolis like city design that was used it was used in the prequels that they did in the in the later 90s and early 2000s so i had some of those vibes and that to me was a very contrasting uh vision of oa than what we got in some of the justice league and justice league unlimited where it was very much just sort of like a moon a moon-like planet with a with a base on it this looks like a buzzing metropolis where people live and tall buildings and bright lights and uh clouds and it atmosphere it, it's very very different i really enjoyed it yeah i i think that's that's a, that's a great point because yeah we we saw sort of bits and pieces of oa uh in some of the justice league episodes but yeah the idea that this is sort of like a a training ground for the new lantern recruits as well as the sort of it's their headquarters a lot of them it's their home it's where they live so, so yeah it feels a lot more spacious and lived in than uh than i think the uh than OAs that we have seen in other projects go. But yeah, there's a lot of great visuals. Uh, I think the standout visual in part one for me, other than there's actually a couple, but I I like how uh, saving the train right at the start of the episode, just simple stuff. He just fly, you know, flies in front of it and makes tracks with his, uh, with his ring so they can glide over the, uh, the part where the, the tracks have gone out. Um, I thought that was clever. And then I, I love the part at the end of part one where his, his battery has died, but they had established earlier in the episode that this the ship they had stolen, the engine was a giant uh, Green Lantern power battery. So he, as he's running away from uh, from the Red Lanterns, he sort of jumps down, lands on it, and charges his ring, and then just lets out this giant burst of energy. And it's so uh, it's so like it's to me it was it was the standout at least of part one. It's so breathtaking and colorful and bright and everything like it's so it's so cool it's such a great moment yeah i i I had that one noted as well uh that was that whole sequence is very exciting because it's again they're trying to save uh shire rev uh, who's this injured green lantern and uh hal has already mentioned that his ring doesn't have a lot of juice left and they're it's you know these red lanterns they've never fought before and that have their own power rings and they're on this strange planet and they're trying to get back to the ship and you don't you've already seen one green lantern be killed so you don't know if these green lanterns are going to survive and 
so yeah, the tension built up with that, and then the visuals in the midst of it uh, were really, really great. You mentioned uh, some of the constructs, of course, the bridge that you mentioned. Uh, that's a, a to me that was a great play on the sort of the, the traditional Superman scene of of you know, I mean it's it's a classic superhero trope of oh the villain has blown up the bridge, what are we gonna or something has blown up the bridge, what are we gonna do? You know, in this case it was an earthquake, not a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what what's the hero gonna do? So he you know he creates the bridge. You mentioned uh, Kilowog's uh, propensity to create hammers. He does that a whole lot, which I thought was great. Uh, it's kind of his go-to uh, go-to weapon. We mm-hmm. have uh, we had some maces. We had a, a part where uh, where I believe Hal is battling Razor, and he pull he creates a bat with his ring, a baseball bat with his ring, and they sort of do what I again more Star Wars DNA, a, yes. a lightsaber esque battle. Yes, uh, Razor, the uh, the young rookie Red Lantern makes what I guess is a sword out of his red energy, and and Hal, as you mentioned, has this green baseball bat, and they clash, and the energy crackles, and yeah, it's very very much a a, a nice a nice direct uh, Star Wars homage there. Then later on, another scene that was again had Star Wars DNA on it as they're chasing this sort of. Uh, probe, what in Star Wars terms so you would call a probe droid, but uh, was this sort of tracking robot that the Red Lanterns had left behind. Uh, they're, the uh, Hal and Kilowog are in the ship and they're chasing it through this asteroid field yeah. and uh, he, he uses a drill, actually creates a drill construct with his ring to drill through one of the asteroids in order to cut this, this robot off on the other side. Uh, yeah, really, really great constructs used. A lot of them, fists, of course, fists aplenty, fists and hands. There's a one part where uh, he, towards the end, where Hal uses the uh, fist construct to just sort of beat the tar out of of Razor uh, as he's kind of trapped up against a, a piece of the exploded planet at the end. There, he just kind of pounds him into this rock. Yeah. I thought that was that was a, that was brutal and it worked it worked very effectively. Um, yeah, I, I think the constructs were fun. Uh, I thought the warp field is they're sort of jumping their version again of hyperspace, something again that's touched on in Star Wars. Uh, that sort of this, except theirs instead of just being sort of a, a, a white blur, it's sort of this multicolor galaxy-esque colored blur. Um, I could go probably on and on and on because to me, <laughs> visuals visuals were the most interesting part and the and and the ones that stood out the most. And again, because this is a different type of animation, you have a lot to look at and a lot more. It's a lot smoother and a lot less. I think a lot fewer errors or things that you can look at and say, "Ooh, that didn't look good." Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a few things I I noticed just. Uh, just more nitpicky things, but I thought like, especially at the start of part one, I don't know if they went back and redubbed some of the audio, but it just didn't feel like the mouth movements were matching up with what the people were saying uh, quite perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with, I think the first scene with the guardians, I thought there's just something, something there that wasn't quite matching up. And I also just thought that was the only where place where I thought like the animation like maybe I don't know if showed its age is the right or showed its budget is the right is maybe some of the guardians faces looked a little underdeveloped compared to like Hal and Kilowog and everyone who generally looked very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's mostly minor nit- nitpicking things. Other than that, 
like I said, I think it's 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 quite a bit of fun. And as you mentioned, part two is is almost all action. And uh, yeah, that that ending scene where Razor, who's sort of racked with guilt over uh, you know perpetuating this explosion that has killed at least some people, and and uh, and rev this Green Lantern, um, he's sort of begging Hal to kill him. And Hal comes very close, as you mentioned, just pound, pounds him, you know, sh- knocks him through several asteroids. But then finally, as he, he creates this giant drill construct, he uh, he's uh, he finally kind of pulls himself. Hal pulls himself back from the abyss and, and stops himself from killing him. And even that I thought was cool because it even shows like the drill sh- slowing down and stopping and then you can kind of see the detail in that so yeah i thought i thought they they very clearly went went all out for especially everything involving the uh, the green lantern constructs and everything and this might fall technically more under uh plot than than visuals but i do also just want to say i laughed so hard at the scene where kilowog is giving him crap for wearing a mask in space <laughs> i thought that was so funny that was that was really good. I had that notated. I didn't know whether to talk about that in voice. I didn't know if I had to talk about that in plot. Uh, but yeah, that was that was really really good. I I lol for sure at that. That was really really funny. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. He you know giving him a hard time for wearing a mask out in space <laughs> and his reasoning for for uh for wearing it really really funny uh agreed there it's funny you just mentioned that too it got me thinking that you know where he has the drill and he's about to kind of put it through razor i think if they had done better a better job at explaining also that the red lantern rage was something that kind of afforded you that red ring it Mm -hmm. would have been an interesting way to kind of play up that like oh is is how gonna to turn like, is he going to turn to the dark side if we're using, we're just going to continue to use Star Wars metaphors right. about this, but is he going to turn to the dark side here and succumb to his rage and kill Razor over this whole thing that happened? Uh, and that ends up relenting at the end because he's, you know, he's better than that. I, that could have been an interesting plot point that they played up to. But I, anyway, I digress. Um, the other the last, I think this is the last Star Wars visual note that I had <laughs> down, but when they introduce Atrocitus also as the, as the villain, the first time you see him, there's a scene where uh, they're in his ship that's sort of uh, floating through space. And it's a very Star Wars-esque scene where you're sitting there in space and then all of a sudden out of uh, one of the corners, the, the ship comes and, and flies over the, the the screen and you get the rumbling of the ship through space and uh even i I felt like and we'll talk about it in a second in in our in our voice acting but i felt like atrocitus was set up to be a very darth vader-esque looking sounding feeling villain for this first episode at least oh for sure uh yeah there's definitely like like you've said there's there's a lot of star wars baked into this and and uh and and it makes sense i think i think uh if you're going to do this sort of epic space adventure stuff, it makes sense to pull from, you know, some of the most famous and beloved you know, science fiction that's ever existed. So yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of cool, cool notes like that. The other, the only other note, and I, I think you may have touched on it briefly, but uh, when, when the red lanterns are first sort of confronting this, uh, this young or rookie green lantern, Shair Rev uh, to sort of escape from them, he also creates a di- different type of drill 
and uh, just spins and creates like this giant tornado to uh, to escape yeah. them and, until Hal and Kilowog can arrive. And I was like, that's really clever. Um, and that's that's like that's also like a super unique thing. Like I don't ever remember seeing a version where a Green Lantern like created his own tornado before. So like uh, extra extra points for like coming up with a new new cool thing for for a green lantern to do but yeah overall like i said uh despite some some minor issues with with the uh some of the faces and stuff like that um visuals overall are still great and especially i think towards the end of part one and really all of part two so uh, i thought that was strong enough to give it the perfect 10 out of 10 wow that's awesome uh, yeah, I liked it just a, a little bit less, and maybe it's just I love traditional animation always a little bit more than I do CGI. I mm. gave it an 8 out of 10. It's still very strong. Um, it'll be interesting, I think, to see in the next couple of years. Obviously, this is well into and well past some of the original CGI animated shows. Like, I can't imagine going back and watching uh, one of our childhood favorites reboot at this point. Oh, yeah, I was thinking about that (laughs) earlier. Like, I I can imagine, based on some of my memories of that show, but going back and kind of putting that up against... if I mean, you can see it from the first Toy Story to where Toy Story is now. Oh, yeah. If you watch it, there's it's like this doesn't quite hold up the way that you would hope it would have mm. for being a great movie. So yeah. it'll be interesting in the next you know five to ten years if this sort of becomes like that and it's like oh this is not good. Uh, but for the and to me like the, a regular animation is sort of timeless in that way and that you can just kind of explain it away as art for that time where a CGI sort of dates itself, obviously. So uh, with that, that's why I ended up giving it just an 8 out of 10. But either way, both high scores from both of us. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's talk about music, which I am happy to report, despite the fact that so many of the DCAU shows are yet to be released on proper audio, that the Green Lantern, the animated series soundtrack, that has not only one volume, but two volumes from La La (laughs) Land Records and Warner Music. So if you love this show and the music, are you in luck? Uh, So with that said, I was not able to uh, properly find them before we came on the air here, but uh, music, uh, pretty darn good. Yeah, as as you mentioned, there's certainly an epic... They don't they don't completely go in a like a knockoff Star Wars direction, but you certainly have that sort of epic grand uh, orchestral music accompanying most of your big action set pieces. And I guess we can talk about it since this is our, our first episode reviewing it. The main title sequence is accompanied by this sort of great, uh, great uh, uh, great percussion in it. It's, it's really fun. Uh, I love the main title theme. I think that that's that's good that's something that's gonna that i can see myself humming and it's gonna be stuck in my head for a little bit yeah it's really really strong it works out really well and it actually (laughs) unlike some of the other shows that eventually happened later on in the dcau that we've sort of complained about the or i've complained about i won't speak for you but i've had (laughs) sometimes taken umbrage with but they don't they do use the theme song later on uh it comes in uh when he recharges uh his ring as you already mentioned the scene where he 
you know, he's running up to the ship mm-hmm. and he's in a panic and he says the oath really fast and charges <laughs> his ring through the through the ship's power battery. The the theme plays immediately right before he shoots and during him shooting this giant beam to to get rid of the uh, the red lanterns. But I thought that 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 if that played there, then hopefully you have hope that it's going to come back and return for the rest of the series, which to me, if you establish that theme, your theme song, this is the triumphant theme that plays whenever you know that your superhero is about to kick some butt. Like, yes, that's, that's what you need to do. That's what I'm used to. That's what we're used to with Batman, the animated series is what you're used to with Superman, the animated series. Uh, it's a good formula. Keep it rolling. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely the standout piece of music there's there's certainly some good ominous mood setting music when atrocitus appears and makes his declaration that the the planet must turn over the green lanterns or be destroyed and and all of that and the the fight scenes like i said are are accompanied by some good uh some good uh up-tempo fight music but yeah yeah, i definitely think the standout uh piece of it is the uh is the opening theme and as you mentioned the fact that it kind of does come back and re reoccur throughout the uh, the episodes is uh, definitely a big thumbs up and uh, yeah i thought it was a really solid job all around on music as as mentioned i believe uh, i said it but uh, friedrich weidman was the uh, composer for both parts here and uh, yeah i thought music was really solid i gave it a seven out of ten nice i gave it an eight out of ten to me i think and it would be interesting hopefully down the line we'll have the opportunity to review some more of this series i think based on our scores so far uh that may be something we end up doing in the in the future at some point for an elseworlds tale or two uh but i I think to me at least for this episode it established that music played a big role which we know was important in past shows obviously Mm -hmm. Uh, we talk about it every week on the show uh we talk that's why music is one of the categories that we rank these these cartoons on is because it's it adds something it always adds something or if it doesn't add something in some cases it could detract from something you know if if it even if it's there or not there you know not having it there it plays a very pivotal role to these shows and a good balance and a good way to a stat or a good establishment of the music is always important this being a pilot having the music being established having the theme being established is something that's going to be recurring um i felt like it set for this this episode had so much action in it that it needed to have some music in the background to sort of create that tension and to create the importance of what was going on and i I felt it did that very effectively which is why i ended up giving it an eight out of ten awesome All right, Liam, moving on to our final category of the day. That is going to be voice acting. We have uh, a couple of familiar voices here. One uh, one DCAU vet, one who you, if you didn't recognize his voice immediately, I... what did, did you even live in the 90s and early 2000s? <laughs> uh, but let's talk about let's talk about this week's voice cast. Yeah, it's a it's a big one, and uh, as you mentioned, quite a few familiar ones. Uh, first off, I will mention Tom Kenny, who voices both Salak and the evil uh, spherical Red Lantern Zilius Sox, uh, SpongeBob himself. Uh, very no- very notable voice, and uh, like again, like you said, he's pretty much playing this evil, sniveling sidekick uh, to to the main villain. But uh, I do think he he does a good job in that role. Um, we have uh, Jason Spizak as Razor, who is, as we mentioned, this sort of young, up and coming Red Lantern who is sort of 
repeatedly being accused of of having of having second thoughts and doubts about the Red Lantern's missions and and in the end he he sort of as we said sort of wants to give himself up to the Green Lantern Corps. Hopefully he thinks to be executed, but uh, instead Hal Hal and Kilowog arrest him instead. But uh, yeah, we have a. I thought his strongest line that he delivered came mm-hmm. uh, in that in that final moment, and he screams, "You know, are you too weak to take your vengeance?" He screams that it. Yeah. And and we should mention also it's it's mentioned several times. It seems like one of the one of the uh, the mottos of the Red Lantern Corps. And again, this may be a, a little cute little Easter egg, but they say, "I am vengeance." It's part of their uh, part of their mantra that they sort <laughs> of lead it. Uh, they used it in the opening scene, and then they use it. Atrocitus uses it again later on that he is vengeance. Uh, they have a couple things after that. They don't say, "I am the Knight" and "I am Batman," obviously, but. <laughs> uh, when what Razor says, you know, are you too weak to take your vengeance? I thought that that was a, that was a really strong, probably his strongest line of the whole episode. Yeah, I, I was a little underwhelmed with a lot of his performance, but I do definitely think it it came he shone he shone pretty brightly in the that final scene as as Hal kind of in the midst of beating the tar out of him also sort of teaches him a lesson about about what justice is and uh, and all that and and sort of takes him in the custody instead but yes we have several more uh, to talk about including ian abercrombie as gantfit we have uh, jennifer or hale who of course was giganta and killer frost on justice league and justice league unlimited playing carol ferris uh we have gray delisle uh, i believe she goes by gray griffin now but uh as aya the <laughs> The uh, AI, who again they sort of establishes, I, I think that's again I've only seen a couple episodes of the series, but I think they develop her character and they sort of started out by by Hal and Kilowog sort of taking advantage of her of her naive naivete, and uh, it sort of builds throughout the episode where Hal keeps kind of getting her to go against her programming and and then ultimately, so I, I think I'm sure that will develop further as as the series goes on. Uh, notably, notably jo- that also I don't. I don't I don't know if you saw, but she also ends up playing that same character in Justice League Action. Uh, there's a, there's yeah. a, she ends up playing Aya again, and uh, the gentleman who we'll discuss in just a second playing Hal Jordan also plays Hal Jordan. Uh, they have a, they have a neat little sort of conversation about seemingly recognizing each other yet not having any prior interaction from, from what I read. <laughs> so very, very interesting that there's a, there's sort of a, a, a later on in another animated series, there's sort of a, a mention to this, but uh, continue. Very nice. And uh, yeah, ra- wrapping up our voice cast, we got a couple more big names before we get to our, our stars here. We have Jonathan Adams as Atrocitus. I think he's really good. Again, he, there isn't that much asked of him for this first episode. He's more just there to be, as you mentioned, the Darth Vader voice. But he has he has such like a booming and posing voice. He's done quite a bit of uh, voice work between uh, animation and and video games. Um, I think he's he does a really good job of setting up this sort of angry and scary, but still kind of ob- ominous and secretive villain. His voice almost reminds me, like, and I wouldn't be shocked if it's in his credits, or if not, then I I don't know what uh, Disney and Lucasfilm are doing. But he could he could be a Darth Vader sound alike for a video game or one of their cartoon properties with the right right type of of voice modulation put on him, uh, mm-hmm. because he had again that was one of the other things that was like, oh, he he has that deep 
booming sort of James Earl, jo- Earl Jones-esque voice that reminded me of Darth Vader. And then you have everything else of the visuals that are going on with that. So, yeah, I, I think he, he seems like a perfect casting for this character. Absolutely. And then, yes, uh, wrapping up, we have our kind of our main players for this week, our, our two main Green Lanterns that we follow. First of all, we have Kevin Michael Richardson as Kilowog, who, uh, again, has done about a, a million different uh, voice acting roles, including uh, the Joker on The Batman. He's on, he's on Family Guy. He's done a, a million other voices. We've talked about him several times before, but uh, I think he's a, he's a very solid Kilowog. We talked about how much we loved... Uh, Dennis Haithbert as uh, as sort of this lovable kind of easygoing Kellogg, but considering this version is kind of such a, a stark contrast, I think uh, Kevin Michael Richardson does a really good job as the sort of more like uh, tough uh, tough and gruff uh, fighter Kellogg. Before we get to uh, Hal Jordan, the Man of the Hour, I would be remiss not to mention playing Shair Rev, this uh, frontier Green Lantern uh, who we meet and subsequently see the end of uh voiced by none other than kurtwood smith who uh, as you mentioned cal if you if you don't know his uh, his name go look up a picture of him and if if you still don't know who it is then i just have to assume you didn't watch any television or movies in uh, anywhere from like the early, the mid 1980s until present day Yep, Red Foreman himself, Kurtwood Smith. Uh, his voice instantly recognizable. Uh, we talked about it. He's had a couple other small roles that he's played in other DC in the DCAU shows that we've covered. Instantly recognizable. I love Kurtwood Smith. I love his voice. It based. I didn't think it quite felt. It felt like it fit the character design, at least at the start. Yeah. Design has sort of literally a sheepish look to them. It's like a sheepish looking alien. Um, Quite literally a sheep, not like sheepish, like afraid, like (laughs) looks like a sheep, like bah, like looks like (laughs) a sheep. So it didn't quite fit, but I felt like that ending part where he's very subtly talking to Razor and talking to Kilowog where he knows he's going to sacrifice himself. Man, like it was like you got somebody that can act for this role for this very scene right here. Yeah. And it was really good. It was really good. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh. Uh, yeah, he's he's tremendous, uh, and uh, like you said, yeah, maybe it doesn't fit. There's sort of this idea that the the like like I said, these these Green Lanterns are sort of lesser trained. They don't get a lot of attention from the Guardians. So, and obviously he has a, a relatively young family. So yeah, I guess you could have potentially cast like a, a younger actor to to give him more of that like upstart rookie feel to it. But yes, as you mentioned. In those final moments, uh, he is able to convey such such great emotion where he is where he has resigned himself to what is going to happen that he is going to give his life so that his people and that his wife and his child might live. Um, again, heavy heavy subject matter for uh, for a kids cartoon, but uh, he delivers it uh, greatly. And that will bring us to as we mentioned, Hal Jordan, the star of the show being voiced by one Josh Keaton, who is another voice actor that you probably, even if you don't know the name, you've definitely heard him voice certain characters, including young Hercules 
in Disney's Hercules. He also voiced Spider-Man in the uh, in I'll, I'll I'll go on record as saying I don't know if this is controversial or not. The best Spider-Man cartoon, Spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man. That '90s cartoon is not very good, uh, <laughs> but Spectacular Spider-Man is. Um, but yes, uh, my, probably my favorite uh, Spider-Man voice actor, uh, Josh Keaton. As Hal Jordan, as you mentioned, he does get to uh, play the character again later on in several projects, and including some of the Lego DC video games and, and Justice League action as well. Um, I, I think he's good. Again, it's it's interesting. I don't know that I have like an archetypal Hal idea of like what Hal Jordan's voice should be. But while I do think that his performance is good and he pulls off that sort of cocky, cocky, arrogant guy who you, who you still love pretty well, this doesn't necessarily like scream like, yes, this is the quintessential Hal Jordan voice. I would agree with that. And I, I think this is I think this is why my score probably isn't as high as it could have been. I don't think he does a bad job. Mm -hmm. You're right. I just don't like based on it's very hard for me. Obviously, growing up, we've talked about this. Kyle Rayner was our Green Lantern. Uh, So not having this character as an established character in the comics continuity or even the DCAU, it's like, okay, so what is what does this guy sound like? So you kind of have to go off of what your brain did as a child when you when he did make appearances and because he always had the gray temples, at least in the mid nineties uh, <laughs> or, you know, before he, when he was parallax and then, you know, in subsequent appearances or zero hour pre zero hour appearances, it was very, very like, I imagined he was a little bit older, like, you know, late 40 mm-hmm. or early forties, mid forties, which maybe like a Brad Pitt, like kind of gravelly George Clooney ish type voice. Yeah. Not, not like, young hit teenager <laughs> like like yeah, early that, 20s guy <laughs> yeah i would say and i think that's almost maybe another one of the reasons of the many that the green lantern live action movie didn't click for people as i never felt that was like a ryan reynolds role um right. especially comparing it to his other superhero alter ego um which it seems like he was born to play um right. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, yeah, the idea of him being like this, I, and I understand like he's a, he's a, he's a brash Air Force pilot, and he plays by his own rules, like you said. We've got sort of the classic tropes thrown in, and him being this young, kind of brash, cocky Air Force pilot. It still just, like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with with Josh Keaton's performance, but it just doesn't. It's not something like when you hear. Since it's, since it's Green Lantern Month, when you hear Phil Lamar voicing Jon Stewart and you're like, yep, that's it. That's right. what that character should sound like. Or obviously when we talk about, uh, you know, Susan Eisenberg is Wonder Woman or something like that, where you just you hear it and you're like, yep, they got it. Pitch perfect. And this one, like I said, not bad at all, but uh, but not not exact. I don't know. Like I, like I said, I just feel like it's missing a little bit of something. Thing. That being said, I still thought everyone was was very strong in the cast, and I still gave it a, a pretty strong score of eight out of ten. I gave it the exact same score for that reason. Again, I don't. I, I, it just comes down to how. And again, it's not. He isn't bad. It's not a bad casting. It's just mm-hmm. it's hard for me to rectify that this guy is like a twenty twenty some year old superhero. I, it just doesn't. Hal Jordan is the 
older, like about to pass the baton to Kyle or like become parallax in my always forever in my brain. I it's just, it's just what I'm trained, trained to do. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, still very strong scores though, based on, based on our, on both of us, what we gave it, uh, both ended up giving it an eight out of 10. Absolutely. All right, Liam. Let's uh, total these scores up and get the heck out of here. Uh, we end up totaling up all of my scores, eights across the board. Crazy eights, everybody. 32 <laughs> out of 40. And despite me not having uh, crazy eights across the board, I came to a final score of, wouldn't you know it, uh, 32 out of 40. <laughs> well, that is a shocker. Uh, so, rewatchability, Liam. Um, so yeah, I think obviously it makes sense. This is, these are the first episodes now because it's not an origin tale. It doesn't really fit the care category of like, this is a green lantern one Oh one thing to show, you know, show a non fan. Like we said, if it's, if it's for your kids, they may not need that. So then I would say it is re worth, re worth watching with the family maybe. But, um, if you're, if you're maybe look showing this to another adult, to perhaps a significant other uh maybe this wouldn't be where i would start as far as introducing someone to green lantern that isn't super familiar with it that being said if you just want to watch episodes of this series i do think it makes sense to start this because we do sort of see the genesis of this red lantern green lantern rivalry that will sort of permeate throughout the rest of the series yeah i i don't disagree with that at all i'd say Worth a watch if you haven't seen it before. Worth worth a watch. I don't think it's necessarily uh, one that I would watch over and over and over again. Uh, but if I'm going back to revisit this series and need a refresher, or again if you haven't watched this series at all, put you know put on the DC Universe app while you still can, uh, <laughs> and uh, and watch watch this for 44 minutes. All right, Liam. Well, that will wrap us up for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for checking out this week's episode. And don't forget, you can hear the entire archive, uh, every prior episode, including our two prior Green Lantern Month episodes, all featured at DCAUReview.com. You can also check out our shop on there. We have some gear there. If you want to support the podcast, we don't do advertisements here. So if you want to support us, if you like what we do, you want to throw a couple bucks our way, that would be fantastic. Don't forget also you can follow us on social media at DCAU Review on Twitter and on Instagram. Instagram obviously a little more visual component. Liam runs our Twitter. He's over there talking about all things DC DC Comics, DCAU, a lot of exciting stuff happening these days in the DC world. So head on over there. Make sure you give us a follow. Also, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere, folks. So like us, leave a review if you have time on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out a lot. Liam, let's quickly preview what we've got coming up for our fourth and final week of Green Lantern Month. Yeah, I can't believe it's almost over already, but we are wrapping it up next Saturday with our final review for the Green Lantern Month. That will be, we're going back to the proper DCAU and going back to Justice League Unlimited this time. And we are featuring an episode that features quite a few different Green Lantern, nearly the entire Green Lantern core, in fact, that being The Return. 
Oh, baby, that's a fantastic one for my recollection. Look forward to reviewing it with you, Liam. It is going to be a fantastic time. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the very next episode of the DCAU Review. Adios.